0: Stay and worship with us this morning Where was the darkness when hope was restored? Where was despair when my God split the shore?
1: Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Man, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you yet, my name's Clay. I'm the Connect and Server Director here. And from our team to you, we're so glad you're here. If this is your first Sunday with us, welcome. I hope you feel welcome. Hope you got, got, got you a cup of coffee or lemonade or something on the way in. And we're just so thankful you're here with us. I don't know about you, but I walked in the lobby this morning and I was starstruck. And I got in here and I was a little spaced out. So, but I'll bring it back down to earth. I'm sorry. (laughs) Hey, it's going to be a great day in church today. Amen. We started off with some awesome worship. We're finishing out our Kingmaker series. It's going to be awesome. If you don't know what's going on, we got VBS this week, over 700 kids coming up here that we get to love and tell about Jesus. It's going to be a great day. And hey, if you've been with us for the last few months and you've seen things about discovery, I want to tell you a little bit about that. Discovery is our kind of welcome to CLC or intro to CLC kind of class that we offer. It's usually a four-week class where it's a chance to dive into what we stand on, our vision, our values. But we've got a special discovery one day coming up at the end of this month on Saturday, June 24th, from 9 a.m. to noon. And we would love to invite you to be a part of that. We're going to have some breakfast provided. There's childcare available. We want to make sure that if you hadn't, maybe maybe you didn't think you. Could come four weeks in a row. We got you. We condensed it into one day. So we'd love to be a part, um, have you be a part of that with us and introduce you to a little bit more of how to be connected here at uh, Community Life. As we move forward in our service today, we want to make sure that we take a moment to pause. You know, we get excited, things go on, and, and, and life is crazy, but, but we serve a big God. And we want to make sure we take a moment and pause and bind our hearts as we move into this time of worship. So we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father God, we just thank you. Uh, Lord, as we walk in today and we see the planets and the stars. And, and God, some, so, so much of that just reminds me of how big you are. God, that You you created the wonders of the universe. And yet, in the midst of all that, we sit here on this small speck of dust. And you want a relationship with us. And you choose to love us above all creation. Uh, God, we're humbled by that. We're thankful for that. God, I pray that as we move forward today, Lord, if, if there are those of us who came in carrying something heavy, something that maybe feels too big for us to carry, God, I pray that today we're reminded that nothing is too big for you. And God, I pray that we would just lay it down at your feet, Lord, that you would let us be refreshed by your presence, refreshed by your spirit, Lord, that that we would walk out today in the truth, knowing that your yoke is easy, that your burden is light. God, I pray for our time in worship today, that you would show up and show off, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Amen. Thank you, Clay. Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here to worship with us. Uh, Before we continue with worship this morning, let's just make a decision today to be intentional, about our worship and be intentional in opening up our hearts and our minds. It takes our willingness. We know that God wants to move. He's always on the move. He's always at work, but it goes a lot more smoothly when we are willing to just say, God, I want you to do whatever you wanna do inside of me. Worship is a posture of the heart today. It's a way that we can say, God, I recognize that you are king, you are sovereign, and I am absolutely not. So can we do that this morning? Who's ready to worship this morning? And just say, I want to be open to God, for God to move. Amen. for who you are and who we are in Christ Jesus this morning. Rest in you this morning. I just pray for peace. I pray that our souls would be connected to you today in such a special way as we know how much you love us, that you gave your only son and made a sacrifice so that we could be in communion and connection with you by your redeeming and redemptive love and grace. We are saved and we stand here uh, fully loved and fully known today. We thank you so much. And we want to be able to return that same love. I know we could never live up to the, the unconditional way that you love us, but God, I pray that you would teach us how to love better, not only loving one another better, but loving you, God, better. As believers. We love you today. Thank you so much for all that you've done. Uh, And we just continue to worship you as Pastor Scott comes to deliver the word this morning. Lord, our hearts are open and ready to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. Before you're seated this morning, find someone to greet and welcome them here, and then you can be seated.
3: Well, good morning. Good morning Good okay. morning. Hope everybody's doing good this morning. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us today at Community Life Church on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Scott Marano, and I'm the lead pastor here at Community Life, and it is an honor, um, whether you're joining us in person or joining us online, um, it's just such a great opportunity to, to have, have these moments where there's a lot of places you could be on a Sunday morning, and we so appreciate you being here. At community life, we love God, we love our neighbor, and we believe that our mission is to connect people to Jesus because we believe that Jesus is the source of life. And um, so our hope is if you need anything, if you need a shot of life, or you need someone to stand alongside you in this journey, uh, please let us know, we'd love to be able to do that. Um, So welcome to uh, Community Life Starship something. I don't know, it's gonna be a fun week, y'all. I'm excited about tomorrow, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But um, before I kind of roll into some announcements, uh, we've got our Encircle Life ministry crew with us today. Can we give them a big round of applause? Every month or every couple months, they come in and they grace us, and I love it, man. There's so much singing and joy that comes from this section down here. Um, it just just really cheers my heart up. Um, a lot of exciting things going on, and we'll get to Vacation Bible School here in a second. But um, but let me tell you a few things that I just kind of wanted to dedicate this first few moments to to get you caught up. So as if you've missed the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the growth and the things that we've been experiencing. And so as we get into August, August 6th, which is the season when everything kind of kicks back into gear, all the kids are getting back into school. We're going to shift the service times a little bit, and we're going to have three full services on Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, and 11.30, and they're going to be all the same as far as what happens in here. We'll have children's ministry at all of them, but youth ministry, both middle school and high school, will be at the second two, at the um, 10 and at the 11.30. But that said, as we expand and as we make room for the growth that we're experiencing, we need volunteers in so many other positions to get ready for, for expanding those services out. So what I've been doing over the last couple of weeks is telling you about some of the opportunities, um, and if you haven't found a spot to jump in and volunteer yet, maybe some of these speak to you, um, or we'll just keep throwing them out there. But, but if they do, on your way out today, stop at the front desk or stop out there, grab somebody. Uh, we'll get you connected and let you know what's going on. But um, here are two different opportunities. Uh, some of you, your favorite thing on Sunday morning is going to a church that serves coffee. Right? Like you grew up in a church where if you brought a drink into the building, you were sure that you needed to go pray or something, right? That's okay. Uh, But you can be a part of serving that coffee. We need 10 to 12 people to add to that team so we can create a good rotation. So if you have any work in the service industry and you want to volunteer in that way, stop by and see Pam out there. And then the one that I think is my most favorite, it's the parking lot team. And here's my pitch for that. If you need at least once a week for somebody to tell you that you're number one, I know y'all catch that. Parking lot team is for you. Um, so whoever's flipping the parking lot team off, don't you stop that. Just cut that out. Um, they, if you, if you wanna be on the parking lot team, you have to have thick skin, you have to love what you do, you have to be able to stand in the sun. But here's the deal. You get to be that first line of offense to welcome people in, to love them, to help them get to a spot, or to be kind to them when they go against everything that you say. So um, we'd love to get extra people in the parking lot so that we can, we can get that team to rotate, but we so appreciate the work they're doing. And then this announcement is not, we, we can have people that will help in this ministry, but here's one that we heard in the legacy meetings that you guys wanted help with. We put together what we're calling a tech team. Um, so if you've had any struggles with the church app or the church website or any of the technology, uh, we got a group of people that will meet you in the lobby and help you to walk through some of that stuff. And for those folks that are online at home or maybe you watch from home and you're having situations figuring out how to do that, they'll help you with all of that as well. Uh, I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm stuck between technology and not technology, and, which means that if you ask me to send you a document, I will take a picture of it and text it to you. Like, that's my connection. Connection. But I have to have both, right? Yeah, you guys know. I have to have both paper and phone. So I'm just, if you forget it, you know what I'm talking about. So if you have questions, tech questions, make sure you stop by out in the lobby and see them. And now let's talk about Vacation Bible School. I'm so excited. Um, we start tomorrow morning. Uh, 700 plus children will be here. And we're ready, y'all. We're ready. And, and so here's, here's one cool thing I want you to think about as you go through the service today. The seats that you're sitting in tomorrow will be full of children. So before you leave this building, not that I believe in anything hokey pokey, but pray over the seat because there will be a child sitting in that seat tomorrow that needs to be connected to Jesus. They may already know Jesus, but what they're going to learn this week is going to help that connection. So be praying, be thinking about, be focused on. Um, If you live anywhere here on Soundside or have to get by this way at the nine o'clock hour, I pray for you. Um, it takes about two days to get everybody in the right direction, so just be patient. Maybe go, if you're on Soundside, go down to Nantahala and come out that way. Um, there, Kristen said, uh, we were asking for, for donations of water and, and those different things. We've got plenty of water, uh, and we've got plenty of snacks. And so now the healthy part of us is crying out. If you would be so considerate as to bring, if you want to make a donation, um, apples, apples, oranges, bananas, things that you can grab and go. We want to put in some healthy options for all of the volunteers. So if that's just something that you want to do, you can drop those off a little bit later on today, or at some point during the week when you're not stuck in traffic, we would appreciate that. And then um, this last one, and this is for parents, that your children will be coming, and um, at about Wednesday, you're going to run out of change in the house. Here's what Kristen does. So every Vacation Bible School, they do a fundraiser, um, and, they, and they choose local, different mission opportunities. One year they'll do local, the next year they'll do international, and this year is international. So we're sponsoring um, Project Hope Worldwide and helping Honduras kids. And with our Zimbabwe mission, we're working with some of the schools that are there. And so what we ask the children to do is every day they're going to come home with a little M M&M and M jar. Day one, they get to eat the M and Ms, and so they will be jacked up by the time they get to you. It's so awesome. But then we say fill it up with change and bring it on back. Well, by day 2, all of the change in your couches and your cars, they're all just gone. So, when parents get nervous because you know your kids are going to be asking for it, we put a little drop-down menu on the giving page and you can find their group and you can help donate because here's the big thing. At the end of the week, whichever group wins gets to choose who gets space limed. Guess who always gets space limed? I've never not gotten slimed. I I was not here one year, and that year I avoided it somehow. But anyways, and I also thought you might want to know what your preacher is going to be wearing all week long. Which one of the three of these do you think Clint is going to allow me to wear? I will be a baked potato for Jesus this week, y'all. It's going to be awesome. We're going back to the 80s, Jazzercise. That thing does not breathe, so say a little prayer for your preacher. It's going to be Awesome. Um, I, seriously, though, I'm so excited about what God is doing and excited about just this opportunity to minister all these children. Um, God is so faithful to, to open up the doors and, and let us steward over them. So, um, so be praying for everything to go along. Amen? All right. So today we are uh, closing out our series on 1 Samuel. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm sad about it because I love 1 Samuel going through and studying it, it it has quickly become one of my favorite books of the Bible. I think all of them are, but when I'm studying them, it it just happens to be that at the time. And um, what we're doing is we're looking at one of those transition moments in the life of Israel where they go from the period of the judges, which is their most deplorable moments, to the kingdom period, which is one of their better moments as they're growing and God is really establishing the boundaries and bringing the, the nation of Israel to a whole new place And 1 Samuel teaches us about that transition in between, and in particular, how God uses a few individuals to move an entire nation. And so you may wonder, why do we study the Old Testament? We look at the Old Testament because the lessons that we learn there in the natural help us in the spiritual to maybe navigate through life and and learn from the mistakes that Israel made. And so in looking at all of these different sermons, there are always growing sides to the message that we can take and we can apply to our lives. That will be helpful. And so just to kind of give you the timeline and set it up, because you guys all love the visuals, here's the timeline that we're looking at. And so here's Jesus down here, split time in half, so he's at zero. You can back all the way up to Abraham, the first one that God made covenant with, um, said that you will have a nation, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And so God starts to establish his covenant with Abraham. And um, as the nation is growing, ultimately, a, a famine happens in the land, and God moves them into Egypt to take care of them. And so they're in Egypt for 400 years. But somewhere along the way, the pharaohs get nervous about, about the Jewish nation that's there, the Israelites. They procreate. The nation is growing like crazy. And so they're worried that they're gonna to have too much power. And so they enslave them. And now God has to get Israel out of Egypt. And he does that. That's the Exodus. And he moves them across the desert and over onto the edge of the promised land. But by a failure of heart, they're not ready to go in. And so they go out and they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until God, and forty years in Scripture means a generation. A generation passes away until the next generation is ready to go in. And so Joshua leads them into the Promised Land. They have great time of growth, establishing boundaries. And then when Joshua comes to the end of his life, he sends everybody to their land to continue the battles. But in that point forward, they're now led by regional leaders, and that's when Israel just starts to spiral out of control. Um, They start to adopt all of the gods that are around them and they look more like the nations around than they even do like uh, like the Israelites. And so when we find them at the beginning of 1 Samuel, they're deplorable. They're so far gone that they don't look anything like the people of God. And then along comes Hannah and we start to see this transition and 1 Samuel then moves us into and towards the kingdom period. So here's what we've looked at inside the the stories to this point. If you want to know what Maybe the overarching theme for 1 Samuel is, in my opinion. If you can go back and wonder, the writers of Kings and the writers of Chronicles, and as they were kind of gathering all that information, God was teaching them lessons as they look back into the history and the, and, the, um, and the stories that were shared with them. And so as these stories were written down, what you find in 1 Samuel is this narrative where God is no longer, not that he ever was, but where God is trying to teach them the difference between doing things right ritualistically and working to have your heart right or truly to be connected to God. Because if you're not connected to God, but you're doing all the rituals, then you're missing the point. Then the rituals don't really matter. And so there's a deeper message that starts to run through 1 Samuel where God is trying to win the hearts of the people. He's tired of the Israelites just being Israelites and namesake, he wants them to be their people. He wants to be connected with them. So as we went through week one, um, you start to see these comparisons. You see the people who are deplorable in their nature versus Hannah, who's this young woman who's struggling with infertility, but she has such a faith that she trusts God. And so you see the faith of Hannah and the lack of faith of the people. And so God uses Hannah to bring Samuel into this world. And then we see Samuel in, in, the, in the second week as a... Um, as a, as a compare and contrast versus Eli and his sons who were in the priesthood. Samuel was known as a young man who never let one of the words that God spoke to him fall to the ground versus Eli and his sons, his sons who were stealing from the sacrifices, extorting people and, and sexually immoral in the way that they went about their priesthood. And so you see these two comparisons. So God is teaching those, those lessons in the first two weeks. Week three, we met Saul. He was anointed. He started off as a young man who didn't even wanna be king um, goes back to his land, is plowing his field, and then he hears about this battle against this random, we think it's random, city named Jabesh-Gilead, but there was something about that city that caused him to have this righteous indignation, and so he calls all of the inhabitants of Israel to put together an army to go defend the, the members of Jabesh-Gilead. Remember that for when we get to the end of our sermon today. And so in that one foul swoop, he brings all of Israel together. So you see someone whose heart is is, is drawn towards the things that God wants him to do, defending that nation. And on that sermon, we talked about how you don't know it unless you go back into the book of Judges, but Saul's um, family, his grandmother, was more than likely from Jabesh Gilead when you go back and you look at the lineage. And so he would have been defending his home land. And so then last week, we talked about um, Saul and how the kingship just starts to wander, that he starts to turn more into what the Israelites were before Hannah, than what they were after. And so we went through and, and just kind of looked at some of the, the mistakes that he made along the way and how God started to, um, started to reveal his heart. And so we ended, the, I'm, I got it. I'm sorry, I got off track for a second. The, the scripture verse that we looked at last week was, um, was when, when Sa- Saul makes a mistake and God speaks to him and God says, is obedience greater than sacrifice? And, and so here's the point. You doing the sacrifice is not as important as you being obedient. God wants your heart. And so we started to carry that message out a little bit. Once again, it's a comparison. God wants to be connected to who we are. And so today, um, we're going to actually close out the series, but I want you to know there's a lot more to read if you want to go through 1 Samuel. Um, We're going to look at just the anointing story of David. It's a very small part of his life, but there are a lot of chapters after that give you a ton of information about David. In fact, the information is so important to me. Next year, I want to do an entire series just on David, and on the lessons that you can learn from his life. So I look forward to doing that. But today we're going we're gonna to deal with the anointing story of David, and we're going to talk about some of the ministry-related and life-related lessons we're going to learn there. Then we're going to close out First Samuel by talking about the end of Saul and the end of Samuel, and just bring it all to a close. So y'all ready? Okay. I'm excited about this because this, these are this story probably outside of Samuel hearing God for the first time. The anointing of David is one of, the, one of those early stories in my life that, that probably meant the most to me. So I'm gonna start by reading for you the very last verse of 1 Samuel chapter 15. <clears throat> verse 35 says, Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul and the Lord was sorry that he made Saul king over Israel. So we end the chapter with Saul has just totally blown it hasn't done the things that God has asked him to do, and God has now rejected him as king, even though he's gonna be king for another 15 years, 10 to 15 years, God has rejected him as king, and scripture tells us that God is sorry that he made Saul king. Now, we can read that scripture, and if you're just reading it on the surface, maybe in one of the read through the Bibles in a year, you read it, and you're like, wait a minute. Is God just sitting up in heaven feeling sorry today? Like, is today a bad day and that's why it's raining? I don't know. Like, you, you start to wonder theologically what that means. And here's what I believe happens in Scripture. I think in Scripture, these moments are there so that we don't lose sight of the God that cares for us and that loves us. I promise God is not sitting in heaven, chewing on his nails, worried about what's going to happen next. But that's given to us so that we know that God, when he regrets, it's not the decision that he made because God made that decision He regrets the decisions that Saul made that brought so much damage and heartache into Israel. And so there is ramifications because of the choices that Saul made and God continues to move forward to bring the greater story to bear. So it helps us to see and understand the greater story in context. And so here we have the situation where God is ready to move on and we get into verse one of chapter 16. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? I've rejected him from being king over Israel. Now fill your horn with oil and set out. So here we have this situation where God is recognizing that Samuel is just, his heart is broken. Like he just feels like we just missed it. Somewhere along the way, there could have been something else he would have done. He tried to help Saul. He did everything he could, but God's ready to go. You know, if you ever just listened to the news for 30 seconds and you thought, God has moved on to another planet. Like you ever ever thought that? Like you're pretty sure... He's done, he's moved on. I want you to know that God is God God, and he's good and nothing surprises him. And he's moving and he's orchestrating, he's doing all that. And so what Samuel's learning here is he can grieve over what happened with Saul, but the greater story continues to unfold. And so he says, get your anointing oil ready, let's go. We got a job to do. He says, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. I have provided for myself a king. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message. I think that statement is so important. Verse 2, Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears of it, he'll kill me. Now, this is so interesting to me because Samuel has such a great relationship with God that they converse back and forth. So he says, I need you to go over here. And Samuel's like, God, if I go over there, that dude's going to kill me. And God's like, okay. And he gives him a workaround. Could you imagine if you had that kind of ability to talk to God? thats I want you to hear the significance of the relationship that Samuel has with God. But here's the other thing you need to see that's going on in Scripture. Samuel honestly believes that Saul will kill him. So we're no longer dealing with this young Saul who was nervous about being king. We're now dealing with a king who knows Samuel, knows his prominence, knows his connection to God, and if he thinks he's going to anoint another king... Saul is willing to kill him. So we now have a different picture of a king that is, is, is leading Israel. And so we can all agree that we have a situation and we have a problem. He says, and the Lord said, take a heifer with you and said, I have come to, to sacrifice to the Lord. So he gives him a workaround. Um, verse three, invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I will show you what you should do and you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Now that verse is interesting Because it almost sounds like God gives him some of the information, but not all of the information. I don't know if you've ever felt like God led you to a place where he gives you just enough information to get out on the limb and then to saw it halfway off, and then you're waiting for the next instructions. Happens all the time. Uh, When you go through scripture, God does this. Go to a land that I will show you. Like, yeah, where do you want me to go? Just go that direction. Like, God gives you just enough, and I honestly believe why he does that is because if we knew, we'd screw it all up. Like we would mess it up all along the way. And if we knew, we would not learn the lessons that God wants us to learn along the way. And because God doesn't tell him who he's gonna anoint, then we learn about one of the attributes and natures of God in this scripture that we're gonna be reading here in a second. Verse four, so Samuel did what the Lord commanded and he came to where? Bethlehem, does anybody recognize that city? That's one you should all be familiar with. That's important, right? That's gonna connect us back to the story of Jesus. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, this is hilarious, do you come peaceably? Now that's interesting. I read that and I say to myself, why would they be afraid of him? Do you remember what happened to King Agag in chapter 15? When Saul did not get rid of King Agag, Samuel did, and he did it in a pretty violent way. So if you're in Bethlehem and the prophet of the Lord shows up, you're gonna do rock, paper, scissors to see who's gonna go out to meet him first, and you're going to determine what happens in that conversation as to whether you're going to run or not, right? So they're just wanting to find out if he's coming peaceably. Verse 5, he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, as I was studying and reading through this, I got, I got lost in the, in the larger story. And I remember thinking to myself, what are we doing sacrificing things outside of Jerusalem? Because Jerusalem is the place where the sacrifices were. And then as I read ahead, Jerusalem doesn't become the hub for Israel until David becomes king. And so it wasn't out of place for the prophet um, or a priest to go somewhere to to offer a sacrifice, to sanctify a community or to bless someone. So that happened from time to time. So this is not out of place. Uh, God gave him a way to go into Bethlehem to, to do this sacrifice and this anointing without seeming too suspicious. And so he goes and he does exactly what God asked him to do. Verse six, it says, when they came, so they called everybody together, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. So here we learn something about Samuel. And you have to remember that Samuel's only interaction with anointing a king was with Saul. And what was apparent about Saul when they anointed Saul, when he anointed Saul, was that Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody else, that there was something about his countenance, how he carried himself, whatever it was, when, Saul, when, when Solomon, dude, I'm asking all kinds of names, when Samuel looked at Saul, he recognized and thought that he looked like a king. And so now he sees Eliab come out and he's using that same intelligence and same thought. He sees Eliab and he's like, well, surely this is the one because he's looking at him. Now we get to verse seven, which I honestly believe is the central focus of 1 Samuel and the thought behind the messages that we're looking at. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so we learn one of those key important factors about God, that he's concerned about who you are on the inside, how you think, who you truly are. God is more concerned about your heart than the way that you look. This starts to shape our theology and the way that we understand scripture, but, but we're given this truth because God didn't tell him right off the bat who it was that he was going to be anointing. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him for we will not sit down until he comes here. Now, before I go on to the next verse. Isn't it interesting that the person in the Bible that commands about 66 chapters in the Bible, who is probably the most important figure in the Old Testament and has his solid place in the New Testament as the foreshadowing, that his own father did not think enough of him to invite him to the anointing party. I'm just saying... The Bible deals with things that we all wrestle with, right, that maybe you've had to deal with in your life. And so here's this person that becomes such a formational part of Israel that his own family didn't see it. So let's just hold on to that thought. We're going to pick that up at the very end. And, and, and let me give, even if, maybe you get nervous about that. Maybe you get nervous and think, well, maybe his dad, because he was so young, didn't invite him and didn't think that was the case. Maybe that's the case. And so, so in that case, David would have been excluded because he was too young at the time. So, for whatever reason, he wasn't invited. Verse 12, now we get the description. He sent and brought him in. Now, he was ruddy, and in scripture, that means red. So, just in case you're wondering, David was a ginger. I'm more of a whatever this whiteness is that's coming in right here. This is sage wisdom that I've had to earn over the years. So, he was a ginger. It says um, he had beautiful eyes. And what that means when you, when you go down and you look at the Hebrew is that he had bright, open eyes. So now I'm disqualified because when I smile, my eyes close. So if you're riding with me in the truck, don't say anything funny because we'll wreck because I can't see. So, but he had beautiful eyes. That means he was alert. So he was a ginger that was alert, that was aware. And then scripture describes him as handsome. So a good looking guy, but on the whole, you wouldn't think this is a king. He, has nothing, he doesn't seem kingly about him. He's just a normal guy. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. And so the anointing takes place. Now, if you may ask the question, how old was David? I don't know, but biblical scholars have done some math that can give us a range. Scripture tells us that he was 30 when he finally becomes a king And so you have to back up through all of the events and everything that you read about in scripture, and they believe he's somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age when he's anointed to be king. So then that opens up this interesting question. He's anointed king, but it takes him 15 years before he actually becomes king. What happens in the middle? I'm just going to tell you, it's a hot mess. It's a rough life. And um, and we're going to deal with that here in a second when we kind of get around and we talk about what maybe this greater point is. But, but, but imagine you're the youngest, you're ruddy, whatever that means, you're, you're a ginger, you're the youngest, you're out watching sheep, and um, you're not even invited to the party, there's this sanctification thing that's going on, you're on the outside looking in, um, and, and all of your brothers have been rejected, you're bigger than you brothers have been rejected, and then you're invited in, and the priest, the prophet, anoints you king. Do you think that bodes well for you? You'd think it would, and I guess maybe it's a good thing that God would protect him, but imagine having seven brothers now that have been rejected and you're the king. Oh, you'd be just, man, they would tear you up. I'm just saying, one way or another. I just thought I'd throw that out there. That's a random squirrel that I like to chase and figure out. But here's the deal. From this story on, um, what I want to do is close out for you, First Samuel, so that you'll know where everybody else goes. And so our, the key folks that we're looking at, we've always, we've been looking at Samuel, We've been looking at Saul and we've been looking at David. And so let's talk about the rest, I'll paraphrase it, the rest of Samuel's life. So you only hear from Samuel two more times. One, while David is on the run, David goes to Samuel to probably seek counsel and to find a a friendly face. Um, You don't get anything about their interaction, but Saul hears of it. And I just want you to know that Saul hates David and wants to kill him. Um, Saul hears of it and he sends people to go get him. And uh, they go there, and, and, and there's this interesting story that happens. The people that go to get David fall into a prophetic frenzy. We don't know what that means. And so Saul sends another group. Same thing happens. Saul sends another group. Same thing happens. Saul goes himself, and the same thing happens to Saul. And God uses that moment to allow David to escape. That's the last time that you hear of Samuel. But in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25, you get one or two verses. I think it's just one where it tells us that Samuel dies, and he's buried. And I remember thinking, man, that dude was a rock star, and that's all he gets at the end, right? But here's the truth. God used Samuel to get the entire nation to a particular point, and that's enough, right? So he went home, and I'm sure in his heart of hearts, he was concerned about all of the things that were going on, and I'm sure he was faithful and fulfilled his his ministry and his role as a priest. But then ultimately, he passed away, and the greater narrative continues to To move on past that. And so the the narrative continues on to move. So Samuel ends his life there in in chapter 25. Let's talk about Saul. Uh, Saul is an interesting study. So after this story, if you were to read on into verse 14, verse 14 tells us that because God was not happy with Saul, he removes his spirit from him and then a troubling spirit from the Lord settles on Saul. Um, That's a whole new sermon for a whole new day um, to even try to unpack. But Saul becomes a completely different person. And uh, he starts to lead with insecurities. He's very rash. He's, he's just mean in the things that he does. David and Saul have two positive-ish interactions. One is the story of David and Goliath. The army of Israel is stuck, and guess who bails them out? David. He shows up as a kid and kills Goliath. And guess who gets all the credit? Saul? No, David. David gets all the credit. And if you're king, you think that bodes well with you? No, that does not. So it makes Saul mad. Saul also, when David was younger... Because of that troubling spirit, he, he, could, he wasn't okay, and they found out that David played a harp. He was a very uh, great musician, and so they invited David to come and play in the palace, and when he would play, it would soothe Saul, but at some point, that anger rose up inside him, and ultimately, he tried to kill David, and so David had to key the, uh, flee the palace. And so for 15 years, David is just on the run, and you see Saul just living out his life. David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul in those moments, in, in different times, and he does not, he does not touch God's anointed. And so on that time, David learned a lot of different lessons as he was going through those days. Um, and so Saul then comes to the end of his life. And this, this one I, I thought was so interesting for us to think about. Um, so <clears throat> Saul dies in a battle against the Philistines. And the way the story goes, they're fighting against the Philistines. He's mortally wounded and the Philistines are approaching. And so he does not want... Um, them to take him alive, and so scripture says he falls on his sword, leading us to believe that he commits suicide. Well, if you were to continue to read on into 2 Samuel um, in the first chapter, we hear this story of David who's awaiting news on the king, and this Amalekite soldier escapes from Israel, and he comes across, and he's got the signets of the king, the crown or the bracelet or whatever it was. He shows up, and he presents them to David, and David says, what's happened? He says, the king is dead. And so everybody starts to mourn. And then David comes back and he gets the rest of the story. And he says, what happens in the story? And he says, I came upon the king and the king was dying. And um, he asked me to go ahead and thrust my sword in him so that he wouldn't be captured. And so I did that. and, And I killed him. Now, here's an interesting part in scripture. You remember the Amalekites. The Amalekites were the nation that Saul was supposed to completely get rid of He doesn't. And so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that the one that ultimately kills him is an Amalekite. So that's interesting. And so David goes, prays, and then because that person touched the anointed, the Lord's anointed, he then sends him on to the other side. I don't know how else to say that. And so that's how David ends that whole story. Um, But this part is so cool. Um, Saul dies. The Philistines get him. They hang him on the wall of the city and they leave him there for everybody to see the Philistines as like a trophy. There's a group of people that come and collect his body. And guess who it is? The valiant warriors from Jabesh Gilead. So for those of you who were here two weeks ago, the mo- Saul's big crowning moment when he goes to defend a city is Jabesh Gilead. It wasn't the Benjamites, it wasn't his actual lineage and people that he would, short, should have been connected to. It was the warriors from Jabesh-Gilead who went into that city, got him and his sons and brought them back to Jabesh-Gilead to make, make sure that they had proper burial. That's one of those cool little finds that you get in scripture that just you're just like, that is so awesome because that would have been the hometown of his grandmother. And so it kind of brings it all to a close. And so you may say to me, Scott, what do what we let's, let's circle back around to the scripture. Um, David spent all of those years then on the run, trying to sort out life, trying to, um, trying to work his way towards the king and balance and figure it out. For 15 years, he was on the run, um, working towards becoming king. And, and so as he closes it out, he becomes king at 30 years of age. Who else do we know that moved into their ministry at 30 years of age? Jesus. And where is David from? Where is Jesus from? And what also do we know? Bethlehem is the city of David. David. And so when you connect all these things together, you start to see David as the Messiah figure that is the foreshadowing of Jesus. And we're gonna pick up that thought here in a second. So here we go. When I consider our text that we read today, the anointing story of David, I, I come out with one big question that has two points. And here's the question. What are we looking at? What are we looking at? The most significant lesson to me of all of 1 Samuel has to do with this understanding of the heart And the two points when asked what are we looking at is how do we view our own heart and how do we view the hearts of others? And so how do we view our own hearts? You know, as we sit here today, there are only two people that know your heart. There's yourself and there's God. You can dress it up, you can do all sorts of things, you can fool people almost all of the time, but you can't fool God. And so in this church, you're not gonna get shame from me. What you're gonna get is you're gonna get an honest ask. I ask that everybody at some point in their life, understanding this scripture and the God that searches and looks at our heart, just stop and process. What is your relationship with God like? Is there transformation? Is there a time of growth? Are you wrestling with theology? Are you working towards taking steps towards experiencing and allowing God to do things in your life, causing you to grow? Because that's all we're inviting you to be a part of, right? If God is concerned about your heart, but maybe in your life you're working so hard to make it look like it's all right on the outside, but you're not doing any work on the inside, then then you're, you're not fooling God, you're fooling yourself. Because God is concerned about the internal transformation that will ultimately show up on the outside, but God is the one that's looking at your heart. And so my prayer is that maybe today we can understand that this battle is real and that fight is real and it rages on inside of all of us To work, to transform, to allow ourselves to to look more like God every single day and work through here. Now, here's a truth that maybe will help you. The verse that's in here at the very beginning of chapter 16, when God says to Samuel, I have prepared for myself a king, I've prepared for myself a king. He's talking about David. David is anointed at 15, but he doesn't become a king until 30. And so, those 15 years in between, David was lied to, cheated, stolen from, had his wife stolen from. He was attempted to be murdered so many different times. He fought. He learned respect. He was left within an inch of his life. When you go through all of the things that he went through, it was in that window where he learned how to become a king. And so when God says, I prepared for myself a king, he's talking about the journey and what David was learning all along the way. Every step of that process, God was preparing him for the seat that he would ultimately sit in. And so here's my thought. If you're a believer, then you are a son and a daughter of the king. But make no mistake, you will spend the rest of your life being fitted for that crown. In the transformation, in God renewing you and bringing you about and bringing out his his gifts and his designs inside of you, he will continue because he loves you to knock off the rust. God accepts you just as you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you as you are. That he will bring you along in this journey much the same as he did David, preparing you for the calling and the purpose and the design that he has for you. God loves your heart, he loves you. It's about a life of transformation. And so, how we look at ourselves is so important. And I pray that today we can have an honest assessment of who we are. The second thing is this how do we view others? And this is one of those things that we need to be better at. How do we view others? Um, I can't take credit for this uh, in, our, in the men's Bible study. Robin mentioned it, and it has eat me up all week long. Tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, parents will start dropping their children off, and they'll come into this building. And I just want you to think about this: how many of those children maybe are coming from a relationship like David? where they're walking into this building and their parents don't see them, society doesn't see them, they've been overlooked, they're too small, they're not smart enough, they're too rambunctious, Um, they don't have the right upbringing, Um, they they have the wrong race, they have the wrong... uh, Go ahead, fill in the blanks for all of the reasons that we disqualify people. Whatever that is that's in our life, whatever things preclude us from, from seeing with the eyes of God, there will be 700 children that will come in here and we cannot forget that so many of them are coming from a situation like this. And here's what I would say to you, not on our watch. Not on our watch. The children that come in this door, some of them, I'm gonna tell you, they are crazy. We're gonna love them and we're gonna call out something inside of them that is bigger than themselves and we're gonna do everything we can to connect them to Jesus because that's the heart and that's the life of God. And so this is how I bait and switch you because this is the truth. Some of you are those children. You've spent your whole life carrying the pain and burden of wounds that your not perfect parents have laid on you. I mean, let's be honest. Our parents aren't perfect. We're not perfect. And there are going to be things that we do in raising our children that aren't going to be helpful. And you may sit here today and you may have spent your entire life chasing after an affirmation that your parents will never be able to give you. But here's what I want you to know, that there is a God that loves you and he sees you today. There's a God that loves you and he sees you today. And my prayer is that you will dig down into your heart of hearts and you will allow him to start calling forward those things that are inside of you that make you aware of purpose and design and intent and so many different things. That is what is so beautiful about the love of God is that he calls us to something bigger. Yes, we still have to walk through those issues that we carry in life, but oh, he's calling us to something else. Please see this God that loves you. Please know this God that loves you. It is such a broken world. You may say, Scott, why do we love people? We love people because God loves people. The one thing that moved God is the heart of God and the love of God for people, for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's everybody. And so our prayer has to be, God, put me in a situation when I can look at people and I can see them the way that you see them. And here's the danger of this prayer Here's your warning. When you get to that place and you ask to do that, do you know what God does? He sends you to the people that you least like. It's exactly what he does because it's the best message for you to be able to learn. And when we can find ourselves in the place that is most uncomfortable for us, doing the thing that God has called us to do, that is when we learn the lessons that God has called us to learn. A true heart for people that don't look like us, don't sound like us, but God wants to bring transformation in their lives. That's the level of what God has called us to. Amen. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Today, that love of God is available for you. And my prayer is that you'll open up your heart and you'll choose to believe. And so I invite you, if you will, to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, in all of our brokenness and all of our heartache and all of the things that we carry to this battle, (laughs) Lord, we set it aside for a moment. And I pray that you give us eyes to see, to see the things that matter, to push through all the bull. God, all the stuff that we present so that we look good on the outside, but God, to just take an accounting of, of our own brokenness and to understand that even in the midst of our brokenness, your love for us, uh, just it blows away anything we could ever possibly think of. And today, God, we just give you our hearts and our lives. Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that people today will open up their hearts and, and accept that gift of salvation maybe for the very first time sons and daughters of the King. We love you. We trust you. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you, if you will, to stand. And the band is going to lead us in this, in this final closing song. I encourage you to sing along if you can. Um, I'll be down front on this side to pray with you and Addie's down on this side. Uh, we'd love to do that as well, but thank you so much for your time this morning.
4: here, looking out uh, at this place in preparation for an incredible week. God, it's just, uh, it shows the outpouring of the love and the key that you have uh, in your heart for the vision and the mission of this church. Uh, joining us this morning is my little girl, Alaire You want to say anything?
5: Good morning. Good, morning. Good,
4: morning. Good job, Bob. Uh, just one of the 700 that are going to be pouring through the doors uh, tomorrow morning. So thank you for your prayers. Uh all of the work that you've done, the donations you've given, God, just the way that you uh, have just connected so many families in this community to that to the mission. We're also celebrating the uh, the high school Belize mission team coming back safely uh, from Belize on Friday nights. Uh, just doing incredible ministry through Vacation Bible School there as well. Uh, it's just an incredible way, and again, another outpouring uh, from you, from the way that you uh, bring up students, children in this in this church uh, to make an impact in this world. If you're new here, if this is your first Sunday welcome. This is our kind of crazy, and we hope you jump right in the middle of it. Uh, we'd love to have a conversation with you out in the uh, in the lobby and get you plugged in at what's called Star Command this morning. Uh, so meet us out there, but, uh, but let's pray before we leave. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much uh, for for this story. God, thank you so much for uh, for this King Maker series. God, we look at the hearts of a mama, God, who had faith in you, and trusted you uh, with the, the greatest gift she had, and that's her her child. So I pray that as we uh, fill this place tomorrow with children, as we teach them about this, the love and the forgiveness, the hope and the peace and the joy that's found in your son, Jesus, God, I pray that you would continue to raise up. Um, raise up those Samuels, raise up those Davids, raise up those those kids uh, who are so crazy right now, but who are gonna impact this world in huge, huge ways. Thank you so much for the hearts of these uh, adults in this room right now who just get it, God, who may not understand it, who may not want to be in the midst of the frenzy, but God, they get it and they support and they love and they pray. And we just thank you. God, give us, uh, give us your heart. God, give us your heart this week as we go into the places you've called us and uh, and bring, um, God, all the gifts and graces you've given us. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. We love y'all. Have a wonderful week.